this morning. Let's go to Daniel chapter number 2. If you're able to stand, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Daniel chapter number 2, and there will be some verses that I'll be reading. So if you have a copy of God's Word, have it open to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at quite a few verses, not only here, but other places. I hope that you grabbed a copy of the outline this morning in the bulletin. You can follow along that way. I will tell you we're going to cover a lot this morning as we continue our series on the signs of the times. And uh, if you have your Bible open, Daniel chapter number 2, notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. It was the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice it mentions that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he said, the Bible says, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Everybody, anybody ever had a bad dream? You know, you, you have this dream and you, you wake up and you're like, what in the world was that dream about? And, and if you're like me, a lot of times we try to figure it out. You know, now, what does this mean? What does this mean? And we're trying to read in between the lines and figure it all out. And the Bible says here that King Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream, and it, it, it just it really troubled him, and he could not sleep. Now, <clears throat> notice as time goes on, of course, the king was wanting the answer. Since he couldn't come up with it, he decided he was going to turn to those that he had entrusted to be able to share with him things that was above his maybe pay grade, above what he was able to understand, and the Bible talks about they were magicians and astrologers and, and, and even given to sorcery and things like that. And you have to understand the culture, okay, of this wicked nation, Babylon. And so he, he turns to them. Now, the Bible tells us that none of them could, could really tell him what the dream meant. And the king was putting a lot of pressure on them to come up with an answer. And very angry because they could not answer, the Bible says that he makes the decision. He says, look, if you can't give me an answer, he says, I'm going to cut you in pieces. And he says, your life is over. Now, the thing that comes into view for us as Bible-believing Christians is that among those that were considered wise men was also a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel was a young man that was taken from his homeland. He was taken captive. He was taken to this land known as Babylon. And he was there. And, of course, the king and and the culture was trying to change Daniel and his friends. And the Bible tells us that Daniel had a wisdom. Now, what it does tell us about Daniel's wisdom is that his wisdom came from God. That there was really nothing special about Daniel other than the fact that he had a God that could help him understand all things. By the way, that's your God. The Holy Spirit can help you to understand things too. And so Daniel hears this news that the king is angry. He's had this dream. Nobody's been able to tell him what the dream means. And so he heard that the king was going to kill all the wise men of the land. That kind of bothered Daniel, that he might die. And so he boldly makes a request that he wants to go to the king. And he wanted to try to help in this situation. And so he goes to the king and he actually then asks the king if he can maybe go try to get the answer for this dream. 
Now, the one thing I love about Daniel is Daniel wasn't going to go try to figure it out on his own. He wasn't going to try to, in his own reasoning, his own mind. And that brings us to verse number 20. Look what he says when he comes back to the king. He says, answer to says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And notice he uses the, and he, God, God changeth the times and the seasons. God removeth kings and setteth up kings. God giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So we're going to continue our series. We started last week. We're just moving prophetically through the scriptures. That brings us to Daniel this morning and this dream that the king had. And I've entitled today's message, Past and Future World Empires. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you bless your word. God, I pray that you would help me with my voice. Help me as I pray that we would have open minds, open hearts to receive your word. Maybe some here this morning that may be ignorant to some biblical history and some prophecy. God, I pray that you would illumine them, enlighten them to help them understand it. I pray that if there's someone that maybe somewhere along life's journey has been misled, that the truth would be clear this morning and that we would understand the purpose and your plan for the days ahead and help us as we try to establish some of what's already happened. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Now, no doubt, when you think about what Daniel was telling the king, there are other indications that, as Daniel said, that God changes the times and the seasons, that God removeth kings and God setteth up kings. God gives wisdom unto the wise. In your notes, notice Psalm 75, 5, lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh from the east, excuse me, neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Now, what direction was it named? The north. So watch this. God is in the north. And the Bible says God is the judge. He putteth one down, and he setteth up another. In the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 13, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Folks, are you starting to understand that, listen, man thinks that they run for office, and man thinks this, and man thinks that, but ultimately, God is the one in control. Ultimately, God sets up and God removes. Notice Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of of the Lord. Notice as the rivers of water, what does God do with the king's heart? He turneth it whithersoever he, God, will. Now, as you think about what God has been doing, God has been behind everything that has ever happened in this world when we think of history and what is yet future. For instance, when you look historically in 12 centuries of existence, Ancient Rome expanded to become one of the largest empires of world history. If you look at some of the contributions of Rome, 
We can still see much of it even in our culture, in our world today. Some of her contributions were government, law, architecture, language, literature, war, and even art. All of these and many others deal with every area when it comes to life itself. Now, before this empire, known as Rome, actually came into view, before her influence was being felt, the scriptures actually prophesied of the rise of the Roman Empire and the fall of the Roman Empire. Watch this. It also prophesies of the reviving of the Roman Empire. As we study the Word of God, even today, we find that ancient Rome is actually in the process of reviving as a modern empire. Now, I'm going to do this a little bit, and I don't like to do it, but for the sake of our time, I need you to really put on your thinking cap because I'm going to kind of go back and forth a little bit to kind of set up a few things, and I want to try to make it as clear as I can. So I'm going to go back now in history to 604 B.C., and it was brings us to where we are in our scriptures today in Daniel chapter number 2. It was the time that we find the then ruling empire, which was the Babylonian empire, actually invaded Jerusalem, all right? Now, stay with me, Tyler, don't get ahead of me, all right? So here's the thing is, is that as they invaded Jerusalem, that things began to change worldwide. Now, the world back then was a much smaller world, and we find here that Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of of Babylon, he actually sent orders to those that were under his leadership that he wanted as they went into Jerusalem, he wanted them to bring all the royal and upper class young people out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, and bring them back to Babylon where they, these young people, these royal young people, upper class young people would serve as slaves in the Babylonian government. Now, included in this group was a young man by the name of Daniel. Now, the beauty of the Word of God, it tells us this. Daniel was a man of purpose. Daniel also was a holy man. Now, I want to remind you again, Daniel was not an old man. Daniel was a young man that had God's hand on his life. And in time, Daniel, we read the dream this morning, Daniel finds himself standing in front of the king, in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel served in that capacity as a royal advisor to the king. God's gifted Daniel with wisdom. And Daniel begins to tell the king and even us today through the word of God about the prophecy of the coming modern Roman Empire. Now, again, it was God that gave the king this dream. And we find that recorded in Daniel chapter number 2. I mentioned earlier that when the king heard that dream, God gave it to him in his sleep, that he was, he was alarmed, he was unnerved about it, he was uh, very unsettled about what he saw, he wanted to know the meaning of it, and he turns to the wise men, he turns to the magicians, but none of them could interpret the dream. And so, again, the order went out to execute all those Daniel being one of them, Daniel decides that he's going to request of the king. He goes back to his room, and unlike what 
we would do in our lives, try to figure it out somehow. Daniel does something that all of us should do. When we don't understand something, he went to God. He went to the Lord. He asked the Lord to give him an understanding of this. And it's recorded, notice in your notes or in your Bible, Daniel chapter 2 and verse 28. Here's what he says when he goes back to the king. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, to king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Notice the phrase, in the latter days. He says, thy dream and the vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. Now, we're not going to jump into that right now. We are going to cover it this morning. But what Daniel does, and I think that we have a little picture if you back up one slide. Daniel actually is kind of pulling back the curtain, so to speak. He's kind of giving us a glimpse. He was trying to help the king even. And, and it was God, through this dream, revealing to Nebuchadnezzar about future world empires things that were going to come when it comes to government and the world. Now, Daniel foresaw the trends of this coming kingdom, this coming empire, and, and what we will see this morning, hopefully with God's help, is what we are now experiencing ourselves. Because as we think about this dream that we'll examine that God gave to the king, it's important for us to understand this morning, how does this fit into my life? How does this relate to me? And it all begins with Daniel. Notice the, he, the prophecy was delivered by God to Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel was a part of it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream this symbolic image. Now, the image represented the coming world empires. Now, here's an important statement, and I want you to, again, really focus on what I'm about to say. From Babylon, which was the empire that Nebuchadnezzar was a part of, Daniel in his day was, was in that empire from Babylon all the way to what is known as the Antichrist Empire. That is still yet future. The time frame prophesied in this dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, it will not end until the, the reign of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ. Now, he makes the statement here, and he uses the statement, the latter days. Now, what is he talking about here? He's, he's referencing what is an extended period of time during which the Gentiles would take control of Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Word of God tells us that the, 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 the Word of God, the oracles of God, that the gospel went to the Jew first, but then also to the Greek. And here's what we find is, is that as God's word went to them, there were many times God was working in their lives. He wanted to be their God, and there were times where Israel turned their back on God. See, a lot of times people think that you can lose your salvation. That's not Bible, folks. But there is something in the word of God that we see repeatedly, not only with Israel, but even with Christians today. It's called backsliding. You don't lose your salvation because you did nothing to earn it. God gave you salvation when his son died on the cross for your sins, and you by faith trusted in what Jesus did, and that's how salvation comes. So salvation is of God, but listen, once we are saved, we can turn our backs on God. That's what Israel did many, many times. So here's what we find is, is that the Bible tells us that 
because of the unbelief of the Jews, the gospel, the good news, went forth to the Gentile nations. See, what happened is, is that Israel, the Jewish nation, would not acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, that he came to save people from their sin. And as a result of that, the Bible talks about this time of the Gentiles. We're currently living in a time where the the gospel is now opened up. Listen, God would have all men to be saved, the Bible says. That means that Jews and Gentiles alike can be saved in this current dispensation. Now, the Bible tells us here that the latter days is a phrase talking about an extended period of time when the Gentiles would have control over Jerusalem. Jesus spoke of this. Look in your notes, Luke 21, 24. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Notice this phrase, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, the prophecy that we see in Daniel chapter number 2 that God gave to King Nebuchadnezzar was a prophecy about this giant figure of a man that is uh, actually paralleled, and we won't go there this morning, but if you go to Daniel chapter 7, there is a parallel passage there that actually deals there with the four beasts, but the two of them kind of go together. Stay with me, Tyler. Go back. You're in a hurry. Stay with me. Go back. All right, now, here's what I want you to see is that this image that he just had up there, you're, you're way ahead of me, all right? This, this image that we see actually shows four kingdoms, all right? And I want you to see these. Go back to the maps for me, please. There you go. So here's what I want you to see is the Babylonian Empire. This is the empire of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, notice here, 606 to 538 B.C. The known world at that time was much smaller. The brown area there indicates what was the area that was the Babylonian Empire. Now, I want you to keep your eye on that as we go through these others because I want you to see the changing of these empires. Now, after the Babylonian Empire, we have what is known as the Medo-Persian or the Medes and the Persian Empire. Notice the brown area. Notice how, how large it is compared to the Babylonian Empire. Then you come to the next empire, which would be the Grecian Empire, and this is from 330 to 63 B.C., and then the last of the empires would then be the Roman Empire, which if you notice in the brown area goes all the way around the Mediterranean Sea. Now, that's the four world empires that was a part of this image that we see Nebuchadnezzar in his dream saw. Now, the image that he saw, and you can go to that now, is this image of a man. Now, I want you to see, as you notice in your notes or there on the screen, the image was actually a a, a man that he saw, but this man was made out of various metal, all right? Now, it's important because when you look at the image, the metals from the head, the top to the bottom, are all different. And what's interesting is, is that the metals are more precious or pricely from the top down. Now, there's a, there's a reason and a purpose behind that. Again, God's Word is very precise, but the order of the metals actually, actually represents the glory and the strength of each of these governments that we just looked at. Now, the head, as you see on the image there, 
is a head of gold. That represents the kingdom of Babylon. After the head, of course, next down, you see the chest there, and you see the arms of silver, which represents the medial Persian Empire. Then you find the, the belly and the thighs of brass, which represents the ancient uh, Rome Empire, and excuse me, the, the uh, ancient Grecian Empire. And then you find the last of those that are mentioned there is the, the legs of iron, which represents the Roman Empire. Now, what also we need to see is the feet that are there. This is significant. We're going to get into this here this morning, the imagery that God gives. And, and listen, there is no way that Nebuchadnezzar could have understood all this. And even us, as we study the Word of God, we only can get what God has given us in His Word, but it is very significant and important for us to understand. Now, when you get to the feet, the Bible talks about how that the feet are iron mixed with clay. Now, I want you to back up. Look at the legs again. The legs are made out of iron. But notice the feet. The feet are made out of iron and clay. You see, the feet are really a continuation of the empire before that, the legs as represented in this image. Now, as you look at it, it says they're iron mixed with clay. We'll see in just a minute how, the, how that, when you look at that, iron is strength, strong, clay is weak. So this is a kingdom that is partly strong and a kingdom that is partly weak. This fourth kingdom represented by the legs, when you study it biblically, here's what you find is it's a kingdom that actually will continue to the end, but over time this kingdom, listen, will change. By the way, it has changed this fourth kingdom that is represented by the legs. Now, eventually, that fourth kingdom will give way to a kingdom represented by the feet that is a shared kingdom. Shared how? It's shared among the ten toes. Now, if I, we had you take your shoes off this morning, you probably have ten toes. Now, maybe God bless you with 11 or 12, you know. But the average foot, you have five toes on each foot. Now, you have ten toes. The, the feet represent, of course, the ten toes, which correspond with ten kings. This kingdom that is spoken of will be a government unlike any government that the world has seen or will see prior to this. Many believe that the legs, the legs of iron, represent the Roman Empire, and that the toes represent a future, listen, global government, that is connected to the legs. It refers to a coming kingdom that many would call the revived Roman Empire. Now, the ten toes represent the last phase of the development of that fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire. Now, when you, again, I'm going to go back here for a second. Let's go back to Nebuchadnezzar, all right? Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Nebuchadnezzar's trying to figure it out. He sees this image that you're looking at today. Now, it probably didn't look exactly like that image, but that was the best I could do, all right? Now, here's the thing is, is that he's trying to figure it out. Here's what you need to understand from Nebuchadnezzar's viewpoint. When he looks at that image, understand that as he's looking at it, all the kingdoms that you see there, were, except for his, were all prophetic. 
because his kingdom is represented by the head. The other kingdoms have yet to happen. Are you with me this morning? Okay. All those kingdoms, from Nebuchadnezzar's viewpoint, were prophetic. They hadn't happened yet. Now, for us today, all right, let me fast forward to 2022. All of these kingdoms that we're looking at at this image, every one of them except for one is history. Because all those kingdoms, those four kingdoms, have already happened. But the one represented by the feet is yet future. It is prophetic, and that's where we want to focus our attention today. The final kingdom has not yet fully taken shape in a world power. And the events, listen folks, the events that you and I are seeing today in our world are pointing to this future kingdom. Now, what's at the bottom of that chart there is the most important thing. Notice the words crushing rock, or the Bible calls it a stone cut out without hands. Now, the crushing stone is what will end Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and that stone represents Christ's coming kingdom. It represents the end of all the world empires. And look, I don't know about you, but that's the empire I'm looking forward to someday. That's the one that will subdue all the other kingdoms, and we're going to get into that this morning. But for right now, let's take a closer look at what King Nebuchadnezzar maybe saw in his dream, and what was it that Daniel interpreted for the king, all right? And then we're going to look at some things that brings it right home for us as we conclude this morning. Now, Look at secondly this morning, not only the prophecy that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, the prophecy delivered, but notice the prophecy defined, all right? Let's, let's just look at what uh, this king saw, all right? Now again, the image, the first thing that he saw was the head. The head was the head of gold. It represented Babylon. Notice in your notes or in your Bible, Daniel 2.37, here's what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, thou, O king are a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. Now, do you get that this morning? Daniel boldly is telling this king who has all power over him and can take his life, he says, the only reason you're king, the only reason you have power, the only reason you have strength is because God gave it to you. It has nothing to do with who you are. Daniel says, look, you are represented by that golden head in the image. Now, here's what you need to understand. Historically, as Daniel is saying this, Babylon, right at this moment, is at the height of its world empire. This is the pinnacle. Now, if something is at the pinnacle, that means from that point, it's only down from there. And as time and the image continues, Nebuchadnezzar's hearing what Daniel's saying to him how that he says that God is the one that's given him a kingdom. God's the one that gave him. And he's thinking to himself, look, uh, look, I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the most powerful man in the world. No one could take this kingdom from me. Nobody could subdue me. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was thinking it's going to require some kind of faith for me to think that another kingdom is going to come 
and take my kingdom away. But nonetheless, that's exactly what happened. History records, and we find Daniel chapter number 5 gives the brilliant strategy of a man by the name of Cyrus. Now, the Bible tells us that Cyrus was a Persian, and here's what he did. He marched, you can read it for yourself in Daniel 5 sometime, he marched his soldiers under the walls of Babylon during Belshazzar's drunken feast. He picked a time that that no one would be aware, no one would be guarding the city. There were no soldiers there to defend it, and so what happens? The golden head of the image was set aside for the chest and arms of silver. We find here that what happens is described in Daniel chapter 8, there in your notes, verse 20. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. See, the Babylonian Empire is set aside. And notice the Media Persian Empire takes, takes its place. Now again, that wasn't the end because 200 years later, we find that there's a man by the name of Alexander the Great that conquers the Silver Empire. And so the Silver Empire is set aside. And notice what takes its place. Daniel 8.21, the rough goat is the king of Grecia or the Grecian Empire. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now, after the, 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 the uh, Alexander the Great conquered in the Silver Empire, notice that, again, God sets up and God removes. What happens after Alexander the Great's death? Well, the fourth kingdom takes over. Again, that's represented in the image by the legs of iron. So what rose to power? The Roman Empire. Now, it's interesting that the Roman Empire was actually the empire that was in power in the days of Christ. Jesus was on this earth during the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Bible says in the book of Galatians, God, in the fullness of time, sent forth His Son into this world. See, God is the one that has been orchestrating. God is the one that has been moving the scenes. God has been in control. He chose to send forth His Son. And by the way, not only was Jesus here, but the church, as we are a part of it, began during the Roman Empire. And so we find here, this is very significant, what the king saw. And from a historical standpoint, when you look at the image, guess what? We understand historically and biblically that four of those empires rose and four of those empires have already fallen. But it's that last empire, the one represented by the feet, that we need to pay attention to because all of this happened exactly the way Daniel prophesied long before any of that ever took place. Now, we come to this, and we find that this future kingdom that is mentioned, the one represented by the feet, the ten kings, the Bible says they will share power. That power will become a global empire. And many believe, and I do too, that it's going to be somehow connected with Rome. So let's look at some of the characteristics of this coming kingdom. Notice letter A, that this coming kingdom will be a final day's kingdom. A final day's kingdom. Daniel, the book of Daniel, and the book of Revelation, the last book in our Bible, actually associate the Antichrist with a confederation of ten European nations. Look at uh, Daniel 2 and verse 43. The Bible says here, Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, 
but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So what is it talking about? It's talking about there's going to be an effort here to actually mix together. Uh, it, it, now, the mixing of those, what does it speak of? It talks about diversity. It talks about an attempt of, here's the buzzword, unity, that will characterize this empire. Look in your Bible. Go back to verse 40 of chapter number 2. I want you to see some verses. The Bible says in verse number 40, The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of those of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand for how long? Forever. Look at verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain. And the interpretation thereof is sure. The Bible says God has given us a more sure word of prophecy. God is telling Daniel, and he is sharing it with the king about this coming empire, this global empire that will be connected, that will be a final day's kingdom, that will speak of diversity, that will attempt to create unity. Look, have you, have you seen how the, today... There is a real push. There is a real effort to try to blend all the world's religions together. Why can't we just all get along? Why can't we hold hands and sing kumbaya until God comes back? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The religions of this world do not believe the God of heaven. They do not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They do not believe the truth of the Word of God. And listen, understand this morning that when we come to this last empire that is mentioned here many times as iron and clay, there's a reason why they're mentioned that because what we find today, even in our country, is what the iron and clay represent really is what it speaks of is even our present government, the government that we have. For instance, the iron represents law and justice. The clay represents mankind. So when you have law and justice and mankind coming together in government, guess what you call it? A democracy. That's what we have in our nation. That's what we're experiencing in our country today. Now, what is the strength of democracy? Here it is, the law. What is the weakness of democracy? Human nature. See, man is the weak link. And as we look at this prophecy as it's being defined, 
it is a final day's kingdom. What we are seeing today is that lawlessness, when it comes when human nature refuses to be bound by God's order and by God's laws. What we are experiencing in our country and even in the world today is a casting off of restraints, that everyone is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And we see this prophecy as a a final day's kingdom. But notice also that Daniel helps us understand that it will also be a, there will be a transferring of world power, a transferring of world power. Now, we come back to the feet, the ten toes that are representing ten kings. That actually indicates that a global power will be spread throughout the European and Middle Eastern region. When we approach this fourth kingdom, okay, the, the, the kingdom of the legs of iron, which will continue into the feet, we find that it really indicates the fact that as you study the scriptures, and maybe you've heard this, but I don't find anywhere in the word of God that America, the United States of America, is mentioned in the scriptures. There's no mention of us at all. Now, many believe that our role in the world internationally will somehow diminish. Here's a thought, and maybe it's just a thought, but the ten toes, which represent ten kings, speak of ruling leaders. The Bible tells us that these ruling leaders, they're going to unite their leadership, and they're going to give it over to one known as the Antichrist. And as a result of that, here's what's going to happen, folks. According to God's word, that because of that Antichrist, because of his leadership, because of his power, having those ten kings behind him, then you know what they call America today, right? We are a superpower. And see, there will be no need for a superpower because the Antichrist will be in power. And so that's why many believe that the prominence of America will be greatly reduced in the days ahead. Now, back in 2010, the then Vice President of the United States, you might recognize the name, Joe Biden. As the Vice President, he suggested in a meeting that Brussels would be the capital of the free world, not Washington, D.C., that Brussels would be. Now, perhaps the shift in our leaders' thinking, and by the way, now he holds the highest office in our land, and I guarantee you, he still feels the same way that he did back in 2010, but despite the shifting of our leaders' thinking, I think personally it's a sign of things to come. It's a sign of what is maybe going on here in these feet, the ten toes, how the Bible says each member of this alliance will retain their own identity, but they will work together as a total empire. Look at the verse there in your notes, Revelation 17, 13. These have one what? One mind. And they shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Now, the word beast there is synonymous with the Antichrist. See, there's going to be a final day's kingdom that will indicate a transferring of world power, let her see, there will be a confederation of ten powers. Now, there's no one, myself included, and no one in this world today that actually can accurately predict 
who these ten leaders that represent the ten toes will be. If you try to, it's just speculation. It's like many today who believe that the Antichrist, and they want to say this person, this person, this person. Listen, that will all be revealed in time. Look, it's speculation right now, but I will tell you, and this is, as Christians, we need to just stick to what we do know. What what do we know? What we know is what the Bible teaches, what God has given to us, and here's what we do know is that ten powers will partner together under some type of multinational rule, and it's indicated that it will be European powers. Now, maybe what they'll do is they will change the the, 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 the layout of the world at that time, they may, they may change it instead of countries into global sections. But there will be 10 confederate powers that are in place at that time. And look what happens, letter D, is it will give way to a supreme leader. This confederation of 10 powers is actually setting the stage for a supreme world ruler. Now, the Bible describes this man as the Antichrist. Or the beast. Look at a couple of verses. We saw one of them earlier. Revelation 17, 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet. Look at that. It hasn't happened yet. But, watch this, they receive power as kings for how long? Come on, talk to me. How long? One hour. Now look, look at me for a second before we read on. Sometimes, again, you have to look at the Bible. We believe in a literal interpretation of the Scriptures, but there are times where God uses things symbolically, figuratively. Here the phrase is one hour. Now, to us, we we have a watch. We have a clock. An hour is 60 minutes. That's not what God's saying here. He's saying that these ten powers, ten rulers, they're going to come to power, they're going to have a confederation, but it's going to be for a short time. That's what he means by the phrase there, one hour. It's just going to be for a short time. Now let's read on. It says, they shall receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and these ten will give their power, and they'll give their strength unto the beast. Daniel describes how these ten Leaders will transfer their power to him. Look at Daniel 7.24. The ten horns out of, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. There you go. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue, notice this, three kings. Now remember, it mentions ten toes, ten kings. But here it says, that this one that's going to come to power is going to put down three of these kings. Now, as he does that through strategic diplomacy, this leader is going to rise, and he is somehow going to overthrow or subdue three of the ten. And when he does that, the other seven are going to acquiesce to him. They're going to, for whatever reason, maybe out of fear, maybe, maybe out of his leadership, they're going to say, listen, uh, we, we, we abdicate to you. We give our, our, our power to you. And what's going to happen is one will come to power at this particular time, and I believe he's going to come to power. And what will happen is we will see that revised 
Roman Empire come back into view. Now, you say, is that really possible? Years ago, my wife and I, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, but uh, my wife has loved history most of her life, and I've gotten more interested. I, I guess when I was younger, I wasn't really that interested in history, but uh, we've had an opportunity to go to different places. And, and one of the places that we went to a couple times when we were living in, in the state of Maryland was we, we would go to Washington, D.C., and, and we would go to some of the, the Smithsonian's and things like that. And, and one of the museums there is the Holocaust Museum. It's an amazing place, and of course, it w- some of us had the privilege to go to the Holy Land a couple of years back, and and there was a there's a Holocaust museum there too, which is 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 amazing as well. But my wife had it, the chance to go there, and she w- I wasn't with her one time, and she really took the time. And I'm not going to tell you everything about it because if you've never been, you should go. And I don't I don't want to I don't want to spoil some of what happens while you're there. It's it's it really is a convicting place, and I, I really. I, I believe it'll change you after having been through it. And most of us have no idea. We've heard bits and pieces, but we really have no idea what, what the Jewish people went through and, and all of that. But my wife, we didn't have a lot of time. She says, hey, let's go to the museum. And so I remember we went in, and it's a little different because when you get there, you go into an elevator, and it takes you to, I think there's four floors, and you, you actually come off the elevator, and you work your way back down to the first floor. And as you do, you're kind of winding through uh, various displays, and there's some artifacts, and, and, and you can read about everything. It, it, it is, it's, it's just eye-opening and, and heart-wrenching and mind-boggling. And, and along the way, there's these little places where you can kind of just come in and sit down on a bench, and you can watch these little uh, three, five-minute videos of, of things that happen. And uh, through it all, there were so many things that gripped me, but the one thing that I think stood out to me was I had always heard about, I'd always heard about Hitler. But you know, as I was watching and kind of taking all this in, Hitler wasn't really the man that he sometimes is painted out to be. Now, he eventually became that man. But see, in the early days, Hitler was a, he was a very likable person. He was a very charismatic person, and he drew people to him so that when he started to do some of the things that he did, people followed him. They did what he said. We're seeing the same thing with Putin right now. You know, you, you, you think to yourself, is this possible? Absolutely it's possible, folks. Now, on top of that, in the world that we live in today, I know you know this, even here in our country. We're seeing the economics of our country and the world crumbling. The economics and the nationalism in our, in our country is declining. And here's what, here's what they are saying. Here's what the leaders of the world are saying to us today, that the apparent solution for, all, for peace in the world today, global unity. There's the buzzword again, global unity. Now, at the rate that people are embracing globalism, Clearly, you can see that it appears anything can happen. For instance, I saw this, and I just couldn't get over it. I thought I'd share it with you this morning. But years ago, the first, first president of the United Nations actually made this statement, and I'm going to read it word for word. He said, we do not need another committee 
We already have too many. What we need is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic chaos in which we are sinking. And then he made this statement. Send us such a man and be he God or the devil, we will receive him. The president of the United Nations. You see, Daniel, Daniel was helped of God to help the king. See, God gave him the dream. And he was trying to help king, the king understand the dream that was delivered to him. He defined that prophecy. But notice tonight, or this morning the prophecy developing even in our world today. Now, the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, this image that he saw, and the revealing of the Antichrist, listen to me, the, in other words, that fifth kingdom. And we see uh, what, what we're going to see in the days ahead with the Antichrist. None of that is going to happen, listen, until what the Bible calls the time of tribulation. The period known as the tribulation. Now, we can already see in the world today, and I'm not a date setter. I'm not trying to create a hysteria among us as believers. But I really believe that there is already the development of, of the acceptance of a one world ruler. I think we're already heading that way. You say, well, how do you know? Well, there's some indicators. Notice letter A. There's a lessening of national pride. A lessening of national pride over in Europe. Right now, there is a centralized identity that's being used in Europe. Here in the United States, there is a progressive lack of patriotism. I get so fed up with sports athletes that are people are looking at as heroes that will not stand and pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States, that will not put their hand over their heart, that will sit on the bench while that is being played, I see even sometimes when I go to sporting events, even fans in the seat will not stand. They will not remove their hat out of respect. Hey, listen, there is a lessening of national pride. Our children are being re-educated, listen, to identify themselves not as national citizens, but as global citizens, lessening their sense of national identity. And if you don't believe me, let me just share with you something that is a reality that many children in public school systems are being taught to recite. And here it is. I pledge my support to planet Earth and to the tapestry of life and to the creation and perpetuation of a healthy and prosperous and peaceful world. My planet in harmony with nature, interwoven with compassion and love for all. That's supposed to be the national anthem. But we are our children thanks to the ACLU, they are, they are not permitted to pledge to one nation under God, but they can pledge to Mother Earth. What a day that we're living in. And by the way, uh, again, I, I, hopefully this won't upset somebody, but I went to their website and I looked at the ACLU website, and here's what it says as soon as it came up. These are their words, trans people's rights to live freely, people's right to vote, Abortion care for all, our critical freedoms are at stake, and we need you with us. That's what it says on their website. See, folks, look, wake up. Understand that liberals are implementing training that will desensitize 
the minds of young people towards national pride. Hey, what do you think they were doing in Daniel's day when they took all the upper class and all the young people, they took them to Babylon, they tried to change their name, change their diet, they tried to change everything to brainwash them to take away their sense that they were God's children. And we live in a world today that is increasing this lessening of national pride. There is an increasing of global government. Again, people are pledging their allegiance to something that is global. The European Union today is deeply involved in Middle East politics that includes sanctions against Israel and policies that are designed to pressure Israel into giving up part of her land. Presently, listen to this, the European Union is welcoming terrorist states into the European Union. Former President Barack Obama has been vocal in expressing his view on the need for greater global unity in government and his support for European leadership. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. We are seeing today a shifting of world powers to align to what is known as the final days model. And not only that, but look at letter C. There will be also a quest for a global currency. Now, you ever heard of the mark of the beast? You ever heard of the number six, six, six? I'm going to tell you, folks. The government has an agenda. The world has an agenda. And this thing is bigger than us. Listen to me. It's bigger than the United States. Look at the Bible says in Revelation 13. Don't take my word for it. The Bible says he causeth all. Notice all. And look at the description. Both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. And notice he causes all of them to do what? to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And look at this. And that no man, if you don't have that mark, you don't have that chip, whatever it is. Look, I, I see stories, I don't know if they're believable. I just know based on scriptures, it's going to happen. There, there is talk about, hey, listen, if you put this chip, you'll no longer have to use uh, your credit card. You'll no longer have to carry cash. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That there are so many people out there that are a part of this that the devil is using. And notice it says, you can't, during this time, if you don't have that mark, if you don't have the number of the beast, it says you're not going to be able to buy or sell. Save that you have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Look at this. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, and his number is six, that's the number of man, six hundred, three score, that's sixty, and six. The number six, six, six. Now there's going to come a time where there's going to be this global currency. The Bible speaks of it. That there are going to be many during this time of tribulation that are Christians. Now, if you understand this this morning, according to the scriptures, if you are saved right now, when the next event happens, which is the rapture, the Lord's going to come back in the air, and we will be caught up together with him. We won't go through that time of tribulation, praise God. But understand that 
that those that are not saved, those that have not put faith in Christ, they will not be caught up together with him. They will go into that tribulation period. Now, watch this. There will be some that will have children. There will be people born during the tribulation that become Christians. Well, how do they become Christians? They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be, the, the, the many people talk about uh, the, the 120,000. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. That, that is the, they are males, they are Jewish, they are evangelists. God's word is going to be preached during that time. There will be many that will trust Christ as their Savior during the time of tribulation. But watch this, because of their faith in Christ, they will be martyred because they won't take the mark of the beast. And the Bible says they can't buy or sell. They can't, listen, there's no way that they can survive. Now all of this, look, before this concept of this global currency can be integrated, there must be a worldwide centralized money system. Now you know what you're seeing in the world today? The U.S. dollar continues to decline against the euro. You also see that there are so many things, cryptocurrency and all these uh, different types of things that are going on in the world today, further jeopardizing the, the stability of the U.S. economy. Is Here it is, the world's oil. America continues to rely, even though we have our own resources, our leaders of our country turn their blind eye to the fact that we are able and, and sufficient of ourselves, but yet they just continue uh, to give in, even China has voiced a concern for an international currency. Folks, look, can you see that the stage is being set for a grand finale of world history? Now, as I think about this, look, I'm going to tell you that grand finale that's going to happen, I'm not talking about the Antichrist. I'm talking about the return of Jesus Christ is who I'm talking about. I'm looking forward to, to the Lord coming back. And Daniel describes how that these empires, the world empires, are going to come to an end but it's going to bring about the beginning of Christ's millennial kingdom. Look at Daniel 2 and verse 34. He says to the king, Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet. And notice that were of iron and clay, that fifth kingdom, and he brake them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them and that the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, which is a symbol of a great kingdom. And notice it filled the whole earth. Daniel actually interpreted the significance of this stone that was cut out without hands. Look at verse 44. The days of the king, these kings, shall the God of heaven set up his kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. Look at that. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand for how long? Forever. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people, myself included, that believe that this prophecy in Daniel's, uh, Daniel's recollection to the king, that it will be fulfilled with the fall of ancient Rome. And an indicator of that is when you look at history and what has taken place, what is mentioned here about this ten power kingdom that's going to be destroyed by one final blow, guess what? Historically, that still hasn't happened. 
You can't find any evidence of that. In other words, what you can find is that when the Lord does come back, when he does return to set up his kingdom, that the final form of this revised Roman Empire will still be uh, still be here. It will still be alive. It will still be thriving. Look at Revelation 19. The Bible says, I saw heaven open, and behold, here it is, a white horse, and he that sat upon him is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war, which is an indication that that Roman Empire will still be alive when he comes back. It will still be thriving on this earth. And the Bible says, and he that uh, he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, I said this the other day, how sometimes when we text people, sometimes you capitalize things. And usually it means you're shouting. Well, look at that. God's shouting. He's saying he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we see this prophecy developing, folks, listen. I, I say, well, Pastor, what can I take with me this morning? What can I take from this prophecy, this, this vision, this dream that the king had? Here it is. That the knowledge that we have that the Lord is going to come back one day, and he will, that that should give us hope and expectancy that we understand the coming of the Lord, the prophecy that God has given. Titus put it this way, look at it, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times, here's what happens. People even will go to the Bible, and humanly, what they're doing is they're trying to reason their way through this. They're trying to understand what does the Bible say here. But listen, in human reasoning, you know what the conclusion is to all the problems in the world today? Here it is again, global unity. See, the only answer, the only solution to this world is Jesus Christ. See, they say uh, uh, global unity is the only path to world peace. Well, what it is, it's a sign that God's plan for time is coming to a close. A while back, my wife and I, we, we uh, didn't know, but we were with some people, and we had an opportunity to go, to, go bowling. We used to bowl when we were young, at the, in our PK days. PK is pre-kid. And, uh, and so we went bowling, and, and I remember we had a good time, but we didn't drop the ball on our foot or anything like that. But, but we had a good time, and, and I, I was thinking about that as I was studying for this message, and, and I came across something I guess I'd never really thought about. Was, uh, somebody was talking about bowling, the sport of bowling, and, and how or where it originated. And I got fascinated. I started reading about it. There's some, there's some various uh, maybe discussions about it, but a lot of people believe that from some of the things that they have found that might be painted or might be had been etched on something, that bowling actually originated in Egypt, ancient Egypt, or in Babylon. And then I, I, that really got my attention. I, I kept on reading, and they said that, that when it originated, in their culture. Now, they didn't have a ball that had a couple holes in it and things like that. They they actually literally used like rocks, and they would just roll them and try to knock things over. But here's, here's what it said. It said that the pins actually represented kings, and the ball represented a conquering king that would knock over the other king. And I thought, wow, I mean, there's even some truth right there in that. And it brought me right back to this, to how, look, world powers have come and gone. 
And world powers in our, in our world today are continuing to shift. They're going to fo- eventually form, as the feet indicate, a mighty revived empire. But can I tell you, don't forget about that stone that was cut out without hands. You see that fifth empire? It will be no match for that stone, Jesus. See, kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but the kingdom of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know about you, but boy, I got fired up studying this this image. That uh, Listen, that King Nebuchadnezzar had no idea what God was uh, showing him in that dream, but boy, Daniel tried to help him understand, and listen, the king could not even see that far into his future. But you know, here we are, 2022, and we're seeing things unfold right before our very eyes. I don't know about you, but the Lord's coming is getting closer. How are you living for Him? Are you telling others that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that they can have a home in heaven and not have to go through the tribulation? You might be here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. If you need to be saved, why don't you come this morning and let us take the Bible and show you how you can know that heaven will be your home someday. But Christians, why don't we come this morning and spend some time with the Lord. Maybe God helped you see something today, or maybe God just stirred your heart the way He stirred my heart. As Brother Kenny sings, why don't you come this morning, whatever your need. Go ahead and sing that with me. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let's sing. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of Him.
Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the day. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the reminder of what is to come in our future. Lord, I also thank you for the challenge of what we need to be doing right now as a result of that. Lord, help us to focus on Christ and to do all that we can to reach people while there's still time. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to put our gaze, to put our glimpse on Jesus Christ. What a day that's going to be. But until that day, Lord, may we run our race in a pleasing way that glorifies you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.